You're listening to the Northfield Radio Program, where faith, family, and culture all collide with the biblical worldview. There is a war that's raging for the hearts and the minds and the spirits of men and women. And you and I, as Christians, are on the forefront of that battle. The question is, what will you do? To find out more about the Northfield Radio Program and Caleb Gordon, go to www.calebgordon.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Northfield Radio Program. So excited that you're here with me today. As always, want to say thank you to our friends at Outpost Coffee for providing us with incredible caffeinated beverages. Check these guys out at outpostcoffeeco.com. So on today's program, I wanted to share with you guys a message from a few years back by a guy named Matt Chandler. He's the pastor, teaching pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. And this message is entitled Games People Play. It's actually a three-week series, so the next three weeks, this is what we're going to, I'm going to, I've been given permission, we're going to listen to this message, and, and I just pray that it encourages you and challenges you in your walk and, and, and presses in on us where we need to be pressed in on. So um, enjoy listening to this message by Pastor Matt Chandler. Okay, uh, Luke 19. Uh, my original plan was to get through about 44 verses tonight. Um, we're going to get through 12. Um, let's get to work. It becomes evident, and I think it's especially become evident over the last uh, eight to ten weeks here, as you're reading through the Gospels, that there is a, a, a very pious, religious, moralistic, high-value-on-morals high group of men and women who are extremely offended at Jesus Christ. They are offended at what he requires of them. Uh, they are offended at what he asks of them. Uh, they are offended at what he claims to be. Uh, and, and they, because of this offense, um, instead of walking away, engage in this type of um, cat or mouse game with him. And, and so what they try to do is instead of just going forget this man and walking away because they are religious, um, because they are moralistic and because they are pious, they have all, they would make great neighbors. All right. Unless you didn't mow and get your trash can out and down. They're very legalistic. So, um, they would always write letters to the HOA about you, but regardless, okay. Um, they, they, because that's who they are, they won't just walk away. They just continue to play games, which means they don't fully want to submit to him at all. Okay. So what they'll try to do is redefine him or embarrass him. They, they try to play these games. And, and so what, what Jesus is going to do with this type of person in the next two chapters is expose them for what they are. Uh, and maybe, maybe us for what we are. Luke 19, we'll pick it up in verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, if you went and looked in Matthew and you went and looked in Mark, this is built out in a lot more detail. Um, but right here, we just get a little snippet. Jesus walks into the temple where, since the temple was founded, there were things sold in the Gentile section of the temple. But apparently, and we don't have um, anything, any, any kind of real detailed build out here is complete speculation. So I'm not even going to try. Okay, I have my opinions, but 
you don't pay me for, well, maybe sometimes you pay me for my opinions. Let's go. Um, What you've got here is somehow in the Gentile part of the temple, in the temple court, there are men and women selling things in a way that's dishonorable. So it's not just the simple, hey, here's where you can get a sacrifice. Here's where you, there's something more going on here. And Jesus seeing that there is money being made, a profit being made off of the worship of God in a way that's dishonorable to God confronts them and not only confronts them, but the scriptures are really clear, drives them out. Um, This is one of those texts that I love because um, Jesus, for whatever reason, in pictures of him and and really in a lot of teaching about him, is somewhat made to be effeminate. All right. He just is. All right. He's got a warm glow about him. All right. He's portrayed as very effeminate. He can't be effeminate if he walks into a temple, starts flipping over tables, driving men out, and no one decides to whip him for this. You know what they do? They get out. All right? No one goes, nobody flips over my table. There's not cufflinks going on here, all right? He drives them out. He is not a weak, effeminate fairy. It's not what he is. He drives them out of the temple. He confronts them in their sin. And in so doing, here's what he attacks for the men in power. Their reputation their wallet, and even at some level, the economy of the city. Um, women are a mystery to me, always will be. Certain parts of them I get, certain parts are just a mystery. God has designed it this way, all right? Men I know. Uh, to men, there are certain places you can attack them and certain places you can't, Okay? It, like this, and I've used this example before. If, if men like actually get in a real fight where they throw, like they punch each other, they're usually really good friends after the dust settles. But if you're not punching, you like open hand slap a man. It's never okay again. All right, it is never. If you straight up knock me out with a punch to the face, and I woke up like a day later, I was like, "What happened?" They're like, "Ray punched you, man." I was like, "Golly, man, he really. That is, I like him. All right, that." But if you open hand slap a man, all right, there's just, someone's got to die, all right? In the old days, in the old days, if you took a glove and slapped a guy, it, there was a duel that followed that, like someone had to get shot after that was over or stabbed. And so if you attack a man's reputation, if you attack his pride, and this is a very serious issue, all right? If you attack a man's wallet, that's a very serious issue. If you, and Jesus has confronted these men and these women Um, at a very core, um, very sensitive part of the spirit. That's what's happened here. He's come in and he said, you're sinning, repent. And repentance to Jesus is just a logical progression of reality. Here's what I mean by that. To Jesus, he created all things, designed all things to work in such a way that man would, all right, have ever-increasing joy and God would get ever-increasing glory. So for Jesus to demand repentance is a no-brainer to him because he's trying to line you up with how he's created things to be. And so Jesus is demanding that these men and women repent. Okay? Now, that's what it looks like in this text. In 2009, either through teaching, through a friend, through our own study, through a gentle rebuke, through we are confronted by 
the truths of Jesus Christ that demand a response. And in that, in that, either, either we acknowledge that whatever we were, whatever text or teaching or rebuke, wherever it was that someone sat us down or God through whatever means he wanted to engaged us and said, this has got to change. This is what it looks like for you to obey me in this setting. When, whenever that happens, one of two things happens. We will either see whatever it is, okay, as what it is, usually an idol, something we value more than we value God, and we will repent, all right, confess, repent, walk away from that change, or we begin to play the game, okay? Usually the game occurs when someone says, it's my right to have this. It's my right to have this. It's my right to do this. That's usually where the game begins. Now, let's see what our boys in the temple want to do. Are they going to go, right, you are God, you are God in the heavens. Let's repent, let's obey, let's stop making a profit off of his name. Let's, are they going to repent, are they going to play the game? And if they're going to play the game, what game are they going to play? Let's look at it. 20, verse 1. One day... As Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. Ah, the first and easiest game to play with God when he presses you to obey him. The authority game. Here's how it works. Here's how the authority game has played out for thousands of years. Okay. What happens is God will press through the Holy Spirit, whatever means he wishes to use. He will say, this is sin. This is what I want of you. This is what obedience to my commands looks like for you. And if that hits us in a place that we have no intention of listening to that, submitting to that, or being obedient to that, the most common game played is the authority game. Now, most of us, because we're Bible Belt men and women, don't have the courage or the eternal security to go forget you altogether, Jesus, and run. We don't become atheists and agnostics. No, because we've been taught since we were born that there's hell and we don't really just don't want to go there. And so we can't just go forget it, I'm out. So this authority game, it, it plays out a little bit different among evangelicals. Like here's, we don't want to, um, we don't want to tell Jesus he has no authority. We just want to redefine what his authority is. So I'll, I'll tell you my top three. And this is just basic survey of what I hear all the time. Here's the top three. When confronted by the Holy Spirit on a direction, do this, don't do this, or leave this, come to this, People who have no intention of submitting to that lordship, no intention of being obedient to God will say, I believe we'll do one of three things. Here's the first one and most common. Um, Jesus wants me to be happy. He wouldn't ask that of me. All right, that's by far the most common response to obedience. Um, Jesus would want me to be happy. He would not ask me to do that. He would not ask me to go there. He would not ask me to walk away from that. He would not ask me to give that away. He would not ask me to do that. Jesus wants me to be happy. All right. Now this is flawed on an unreal amount of levels. 
Um, first of all, you're going to have a hard time finding that text. All right, so okay, well then maybe we've got a problem. Maybe your problem isn't Jesus. Maybe your problem's the scriptures. Jesus you love, it's just the scriptures that you don't believe. Now, we've got a bigger fundamental problem there. Because now, who's Jesus? Well, he's whoever I say he is. So you're more comfortable with your invented Jesus than the historic one. Yes, I am. Why? Because my Jesus lets me do what I want. Aha. Well, now we're, now we're into the depths of the soul. All right? Um, Jesus is far more interested in your joy and in your holiness than in your happiness. I, I don't know where we get the, it's real. I really believe that the bulk of evangelicals think Jesus is Santa Claus and that we've been nice and that he's kept track of that. And so there'll never be any coal for us. That what we get is candies and fire trucks every day. And that there is no difficulty in following him. And that, or there's this hyper-spiritualized following of Jesus where every decision to submit to him is this joy-laden explosion of spunk. (laughs) Yay! I'm selling all I have and moving to India. No, I met friends that have done just that and it was with great trepidation and great fear that they laid their lives at the feet of Christ and said, give me the strength. Yeah, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do that. He wants me. Now see, what you've done is fundamentally shifted his authority. You don't have authority over me. I'm going to recreate you so that you only require of me what is easy for me or natural for me to do for you, right? Okay, that's number one. Here's the second one. This is a little bit more subtle. This comes from more seasoned church people. The second thing that people will do when God confronts them with, this is what it looks like to be obedient, is God, God, the first is God wants me to be happy. He wouldn't ask me of that. And the second tends to be um, a, a brand new definition of grace that has historically never been true. That's what it is. That somehow God requiring you to be obedient to what he commanded you in scripture is somehow ungracious and unmerciful and the new mercy and the new grace is you doing whatever you want and God dealing with it. All right, let me unpack it this way. Like you'll always see these things in the news that talk about the decline of Christianity and how this decline's occurring here, how this decline is occurring here and how this is happening here. And so whether it's overt or covert, whether we can tell or not, what ends up happening is there's this idea that somehow God's really struggling on the recruitment and he'd be glad to have us. And that he's looking for as many people to just give him any kind of cred at all. Because he's got a, he's got a PR image right now. And so he's going to start some things virally. He's starting to blog. He's not going to go with the scripture thing now. He's just doing Twitter. He is not going. You know, he's so hard back in the day. So what he's going to do is he's going to uncover things for our generation that's never been uncovered before. So now the atonement's really not necessary because God was never really angry to begin with. And I don't need to footnote that in any way in regards to historic. I'll just spew that out of the air with no type of biblical or historical framework and call it fact. And because I'm brilliant, everybody can listen. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's happening right now. It's a complete redefining of what grace and mercy is. Why would God, no, I mean, what's wrong with that? Why can't we do that? Why can't, if God's gracious, he's love, he's merciful, why would he ask that? I mean, it's a complete 
redefining of what grace and mercy is all about. Apparently the new grace and the new mercy is not God through the cross of Jesus Christ looking past all right, our rebellion and regenerating our hearts through repentance, constant repentance and submission to him, all right, and has now become you do whatever you want and I just, I'm, I don't have a problem with it. All right, that's new. All right, well, let me say it this way. Historically, where that has crept in, it's been called his heresy. Unbiblical heresy has been stomped out. But now it's, it's kind of warm and it sounds right. It, it sounds right. And it's not. Like, do you realize that the Bible is very, 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 very clear that every human being that has ever existed and everything that has ever existed will bring glory to God? Like, do you have that? Which means even the atheist that shakes his fist at the heavens and denies that there's any God at all is going to bring an insurmountable bit of glory to the king of heaven, either as an object of mercy or an object of wrath. The Pharisee said, you better tell your disciples to quit calling you, um, uh, better quit telling them to say glory in the highest to you. You better shut that down. What was Jesus' response? If they don't say it, creation will cry it out. This gets sung, bro. That's what he said. It's just modern version. This gets sung. This gets said. This is truth. And I don't need humans to say it. Now, that's the, that's the second game. Here's the third one, all right? The, the third one's more subtle and far more popular. It's kind of a weird game. Let me try to explain it this way. So the first one is, God wouldn't ask me to do that. He just wants me to be happy. The second one is just a brand new kind of grace where any type of God requiring you to be anything other than what you are is somehow ungracious. And then the third is, to believe that whatever God has called you to or from is somehow not that big of a deal so that obedience to it just isn't that big of an issue. I want to say something here, but don't lose me after I say it. Wait till I finish building it out. Maybe at some level you're right. Here's what I mean. Maybe through teaching, maybe through um, a book you read, maybe through your time in the word, maybe through a loving friend who sat you down and confronted you or rebuked you or pointed you in a certain way you felt the, the, the pressure of the Lord saying, do this, and you go, I, I, don't, I just don't think I can do that. I just don't think I can do that. And so what ends up happening at that moment, there are two things that begin to happen. It starts to unravel. Um, the first is we've said no to the Holy Spirit, which is going to begin to deaden our ability to hear and respond to him. That's first. Here's the second thing, though, and this is the one that's so crazy. Not only will our no begin to deaden our ability to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit. But then we will, here's my favorite, it's really crazy. We'll try to make up for it in other areas. So God will say, you need to confess this. And we'll go, I won't confess that, but here's what I will do. <laughs> right? So you need to confess this. Uh, how about I just, uh, how about I get up 30 minutes earlier and read the Bible a little bit more? <laughs> As if God's in is going, let me weigh that out. Let me think about that. <laughs> Jesus, Holy Spirit. Here's what he's offering. So he doesn't want to be obedient to what we're asking of him, but what he has offered is 30 more minutes of scripture reading where we can convict him about stuff that he has no intention of doing all the more. No. And, and we can giggle all we want, but I bet a bulk of you are right here. I bet a bulk of you are right here where you have felt led by the Holy Spirit to this is something I need to deal with, but then it just becomes very easy to not deal with it. 
This is something I need to do, but it just becomes very easy to not do it. This is something that I, and then we begin to feel guilt about that. And so we end up trying to add it in other places. It's not a scale. It doesn't work that way. Obedience to Jesus Christ lines us up with how he created things to be and increases our joy, even in our sadness, even in difficulty, even in pain, even in sorrow, even in, right? Disobedience, where we try to somehow alleviate the guilt of that disobedience by increasing spiritual activity in another place just assures that that increased spiritual activity is futile. Because anything that God would lead you to do out of it, you've already pretty much proven you have no intention of doing. So you saying, I'm not going to do this, but I am going to spend time in the word, or I'm not going to do this, but I am going to tithe a little bit more. I'm not going to do this, but I will go do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it. All you've done is negated the spiritual power of whatever you decided to add. So now you're back on the treadmill. Do you know what I mean by treadmill when I say that? That you're running, but not going anywhere. And I think if you'll, if you'll really, those of you who think you've perpetually been in the desert for 15 years, I, I think if you might stop and pray and bring some people in on it, what you might find out is 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, God said, let's go left. And you said, I can't do that. But what I will do is go right harder than I would have ever gone left. And then for some reason, prayer has dried up in your life. Affection for God has dried up in your life. The ability to risk has dried up in your life. The ability, and you think, oh, why does God have me in the desert when God's going, I do not have you. You walked out there. I was actually trying to take you to a pool of water that you can't imagine the crispness, clearness, and depth. And you decided sand was better. That's you, not me. And this is the third way that people like to redefine the authority of Christ. Because basically what that is, is, ah, you don't really mean that. I mean, can you imagine what you would do to your kid if that was their, their response to you all the time? Hey, can you pick up the playroom? I would, but you don't really mean that. I mean, it's going to be some violence at the Chandler house. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be some of you are more progressive and you'll just make your kid think about that, you know? That's wrong. You think about that, all right? But it's going to be gnashing of teeth in the Chandler crib for that. And, and I really think this is a big section of us. Big section of us. Okay, so can I plead with you? Let me just plead with you and we'll, we'll be done very quickly. There are certain people and certain things it's okay to play games with. Like my boy and I, we play games. Even my wife at some level, we, we play games. There are certain animals you can play games with. And there are certain things you don't play games with. It always ends badly. You don't play games with Jesus Christ. He's not stupid. He's God. You have not fooled him. He's not tricked, are you? Has he pressed you? Has he shown you what obedience to him looks like? Has he shown you this this is what I'm commanding you to do? And what's your response been? Has your response been? That can't be right. That would be ungracious. Is it, no way would God ask me to do that. He's more interested in my happiness than that. Or is it that you have tried to, for whatever reason, make up for it in other areas? If the answer's yes, you are not a victim. You are a sinner that needs to repent. Are are you tracking with me on that? 
Someone that's very not politically correct and not even very good for church growth. You're not a victim. You have a wicked, idolatrous heart where whatever it is that you don't want to be obedient to is your idol that you value more than God. And Jesus is going to expose this in the back half of this text. Look at it. He answered them. Well, I will ask you a question. Now, tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, then all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's what got exposed in this moment. These men care about their own reputation. They care about their own power, their own wealth, their own. Their God is their stomach, not the God of the universe. That's why they have no intention of submitting to him. Do you need to repent, confess, and repent? Community groups at the village, recovery groups at the village, Bible studies at the village. Those work to help grow men and women who have confessed and repented. Look at me. They will do nothing for the person who hasn't. You will instead become a lifelong Bible study attender. And it's been my experience, my personal experience, The reason why I call church a lame hobby is because if you have no intention of ever swimming in, diving in, walking in what the scriptures teach, then I really have no idea why you would want to perpetually come and sit under them being taught. Do you know that the Bible teaches that what happens in that moment is actually you're being more and more hardened? the community here it's here to love support encourage suffer alongside weep with rejoice with lovingly confront and walk with as long as it takes but until you're willing to confess and repent that you serve chase and love other things more than you love God to the point of being disobedient and defiant to him. We're chasing our tail. Let's pray. I know we're busy men and busy women just by default of our time and history. So I want to give you just a minute here. 
Are there areas of your life? And listen, I'm speaking specifically to believers here. Are there areas of your walk, your life, you cannot compartmentalize Jesus Christ? This is not a church thing versus the rest of your life. Are you with your lives walking in obedience to Christ? Because I think there are some of you that the the Holy Spirit has been pushing on your heart for years that you needed to deal with things in recovery. You need to come clean in some confession. You can't, but for some reason, you've been able to justify and delay. Oh, he doesn't really mean that. Oh, that's not really from him. Oh, that's not for others of you. There are relationships that you're supposed to be out of, relationships that you're supposed to stay in, uh, relationships that you're supposed to walk from. Uh, and, and you've said no or yes, or he can't really mean that, or he wants me to be happier. There are some of you that God's been on you about how you spend your money, where that money should go, how you should be. And we've thought to ourselves, oh no, he doesn't really want that. That's not what he wants for me. That's not really what he's saying for me. Or, oh, I'll get to that and just never do on and on and on. I could go here. Are there those areas of your life where you have for a protracted period of time decided to delay your obedience? Listen, I, I shouldn't even use that phrase. There's no such thing as delayed obedience. It's called disobedience. Okay. So if there is, what's next? If there is delayed obedience, if there is disobedience, if there is a protracted area of your life that you have just said, I'm not going to submit there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to what's next? I mean, you can keep walking in it. There's no doubt about that. Wow. I'll be honest. That was a convicting message that uh, I needed to hear. I needed to ask God to do some work in my heart. And my hope is that we would not let this kind of message fall on deaf ears, that we would repent where we need to repent, where we would, we would do business with the Lord. And so that's my hope for us today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to this program today. I pray that's encouraged and challenged you this week. If you'd like more information about what we're doing here at the Northfield Radio Program, check out my website, www.calebgordon.com. Love y'all. Have a great week. This program has been brought to you by DSR, a technology company that has been investing in Bartles of a families for over 35 years. DSR, we deliver technology.